0: Uh, in February, I was on my uh, way back from a business trip to California, and I was f- in flight, and I pulled up the uh, United app for the movies that they were showing on the plane. Uh, I got to tell you that as, um, you know, as, as a person who's been involved in theater and done writing and, and directing, I will tell you that I have always kind of been a bit critical and cynical about Christian films because they're typically not really well done or have been, haven't been historically. And so I thought, okay, I'll watch this Paul, the Apostle of Christ, and, uh, while I was on the plane. And I will tell you, so here I am in the business section with all the other road warriors, you know, packed, and by the end of the movie, I was a blubbering idiot. I, was, I mean, tears were just streaming down my face, and I'm like going, you know, oh, please, you know. Uh, this is a great film. And we've been studying the book of Acts and the story of Paul for almost the entire year. And so we have decided as a church that we're going to show this film, and it's going to be shown right here in the auditorium on June 22nd at 6 p.m. So we'd like to welcome any who would like to come, and we just thought it would be a fun thing to do together as a a body. So please mark your calendars, June 22nd at 6 p.m., and we're going to... I suppose have some popcorn and hang out and watch the film together, and it's very, very well done. Good morning. My name is Tom Vanderwell. I uh, kind of head up the teaching team here at Third Church as, as a layman, as a volunteer, and may I just say this morning, uh, it's been a while since I've uh, been up here and been able to welcome everybody, uh, that no matter uh, where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter... Uh, where you're at in life, no matter how pretty or messed up your life is, can I just welcome you with love this morning? Thank you for coming and joining a bunch of us who are just all messed up as well. So you're in good company, and we'd like to welcome you no matter uh, where you're from. We greet you in the name of Christ. Open your Bibles if you got it, if you don't have a Bible there's a, there's a rack of them right there by the back door we're going to be jumping into acts the 21st chapter Brett last week by the way last week was Brett Weersma's very first time preaching a sermon you may not have known that last week awesome he did a great job so if you see Brett uh, Tell them, uh, Pat him on the back, tell me, he did a great job, it was awesome. Uh, so thankful for Brett. And he shared with us about the community of believers as Paul is going to Jerusalem and they know that he is going and he's probably going to die. The Holy Spirit's giving this message. And so we're going to kind of pick up today. Paul's been warned not to go his... Christians have been pleading with him, don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to be arrested, you're going to die. And Paul says, nope, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And we're going to pick up the story today in chapter 21, verse 17, as Paul arrives in Jerusalem. I'm just going to read through this. We're going to stop a couple times and make a few notes. So if you're taking notes this morning, get your pen ready. We're going to look at a couple of different chapters this morning. And I'm going to be making several references as we go through. Starting at verse 17, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. So back up the truck here. It's been a while since we've talked about James. The last time we were with James uh, was several chapters back, and there was this big kind of conflict within the early group of Jesus' followers, Most of them had come out of the Jewish faith and were zealous followers uh, of the Jewish faith, of keeping the Jewish law and all of the rituals. There were non-Jews now who had come to Christ and were part of the Jesus movement. And some of the Jewish believers said, no, you have to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. Big (laughs) conflict. Paul was an advocate for the non-Jews, even though he had started as a Jew. He said, no, the the Gentiles, the non-Jews, don't have to be Jewish in order to follow Jesus. James and the elders in Jerusalem, the leaders of the Jewish movement, eventually agreed with them. But there was a big conflict. So Paul went to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the non-Jewish people, around the known world in the Roman Empire, and James and the elders stayed in Jerusalem and stayed ministering to the Jewish people and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So now, Paul returns to Jerusalem to see James. He hasn't seen him since this last trip. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, Paul, we want you to see how many Jews have come to faith in Jesus and have believed, thousands of them. All of them are zealous for the law, just as Paul had been. Now, what's really interesting about this is you think about it, as Paul's coming in, Paul has been critical of James and the elders. Read Galatians. He sarcastically refers to them to those pillars of the faith. So they have not always been on good speaking terms. Paul has argued in in Romans and in the Corinthians that Jews are released from the law. In fact, you want to write down a couple of references? Go to Romans 7, 6, where Paul says, you have been released from the law. You don't have to follow the law anymore. And so now, James is saying, look at all these thousands of Jewish believers who are zealous for the law. And my question is, I'm studying and reading this is, why doesn't Paul go, why doesn't he get angry? You guys, you don't get it. You've been released from the law. What are you be teaching these people? But Paul remains quiet. All these Jews who believe in all more zealous for the law, they have been formed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and live according to our customs. And you know what? That's kind of true. Now, Paul didn't go so far as to say, hey, if you're Jewish, stop being Jewish. But read 1 Corinthians 7, 19, where Paul says to the Corinthians, circumcision is nothing. It's nothing. In fact, he calls those who were really prescribed to circumcising believers as those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. So once again, as James says, these zealous Jews for the law hear that you're telling them to not circumcise and to not obey the law. And Paul could have very easily said, yeah, so let's get into it because he spent the entire book of Romans talking about how those who follow Christ are freed from the law. They're released from the law. They don't have to follow the law anymore because a new law has come that trumps the the law of Moses, and that is the law of love. But Paul says nothing. What shall we do, James says to Paul? They will certainly hear that you have come, so now do what we tell you. Now if there's one thing we've learned about Paul, it's that he's, <laughs> he is a kind of a fiery person, is he not? Paul is zealous, he is passionate, he gets angry, he is a confronter, he is a challenger, he's been off doing his own thing, his own way, now he comes back and James, who he hasn't really agreed with, says, now Paul, I want you to do what I tell you, what we the elders tell you to do. And as I'm reading this, I'm expecting Paul to go, oh yeah? Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) But Paul says nothing. What does he want want Paul to do? Do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow, a Nazarite vow it was called. Take these men, join in the purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads saved. So if you took a vow, and you broke that Nazarite vow, you had to go to the temple, you had to pay basically a fine, and then you had to make this sacrifice of purification that, hey, I messed up and I didn't keep my vow, and get your head shaved, and there's this whole process to it. So if Paul goes and he does this, and not only does he do it himself, but he pays for these other four good Jewish people doing the good Jewish ritual, then all of the Jews, James says, well, certainly they're gonna look at you and go, oh, this can't be true. Then everyone will know that there's no truth in these reports about you, but you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, yet we've written our decision, that was from the last meeting, this big big council. Said, yep, we sent them the letter, We've written our decision they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood and from meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. So the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them and then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So why did Paul do that? Why did Paul just submit? Why did Paul just quietly do? Why didn't he stand up for what he's been teaching and preaching? Why didn't he get in James' face and talk to the Jewish believers about all that he's written in Romans about the law? I meditate a lot on this and there's a couple of things that I think. If you, again, if you're taking some notes, let me give you a couple of references. Because when Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers in chapter five, verse 21, Paul said, submit to one another in love. When Paul wrote to the Roman believers, and when he wrote to Timothy, he said, respect those who are in authority. Romans 13, 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. For everyone who is in authority has been placed there by God. And so in submitting to James, Paul was doing exactly what he had taught all other believers to do: to submit to James and the elders, to respect their authority within the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 9:20, Paul said, "To the Jews, I became a Jew." Now that's interesting, because he'd always been a Jew. He was raised a Jew. But what you have to understand is that when he came to Christ, he has now re- experienced that release from the law. And he says now a Jew is a Jew who has their heart circumcised, not their body. A Jew is now one who is circumcised in their heart and a follower of Christ is a true Jew. So he is, now he doesn't, he doesn't even identify with the Jews anymore. But he says to the Jews, I became a Jew. And to those who are not under the law, I became like those not under the law. Why? So that I could love them. So that I could share with them the grace of Christ. So that I could could speak the truth to them in love. So when he comes back to Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he goes to the he does so completely with a full heart. Why? Because he's like, yeah, I can do this. Because to the Jews, I am willing to become a Jew again and to do all the rituals and to go through the process if that gives me an opportunity to love them and to share with them the heart and the word of Christ. So, my question this morning is who are we willing to become? Who am I willing to become? in order to love people and to share with them the grace and forgiveness and mercy and love of Christ. It goes on, when the seven days were nearly over from Jews, we're now in verse 27, Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Now who else was in the temple and had the Jews stir up the crowds to be arrested. Who? Help me out. Anybody know? Isn't that what they did to Jesus? They stirred up the crowds so that they would, that Jesus would be arrested? Isn't that interesting? And shouting, fellow Israelites, help us, this man, teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled the holy place, which is a false charge. Paul didn't do that. Who else did the Jews stir up and make false accusations against so he could be arrested? Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So they're playing the same game, the religious leaders are doing the same thing that they did to Christ just years before. They'd previously seen Trophimus of the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So that was kind of the, what they had used to make that trumped-up charge. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged them from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He once, at once took some officers and ran down to the crowd. Now one thing, look at verse 31. Here's the thing, as a Roman Empire, no one could kill or execute anyone unless you had the, uh, the authority and the approval of the Romans. So the fact that they were trying to kill Paul was against Roman law. And the Romans could technically kill all of them. But they, we've got, got a riot on our hands here. And as you watch television when a riot's happening, there's not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of good reason and judgment. It's just lots of emotion. And so the Romans come into this, this uh, riot, and the Romans were all about keeping order. So if they hear that there's a riot, The garrison is going to go in and they're going to try and stop it because Rome was all about keeping law, keeping order, not letting there be any uprisings against Rome. So notice that as soon as, once he took some officers, when the rioters saw the commander, what'd they do? They stopped beating Paul because they knew that if they were caught beating Paul, the Romans could then technically execute them, so they stopped. So now we've got the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Now some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get the truth because everybody's screaming and yelling and saying one thing and saying another, he just says, fine, take this guy and take him to the barracks. Meanwhile, the crowd followed, kept shouting, get rid of him, get rid of him. Who else did the crowd of Jerusalem scream, kill him, kill him, get rid of him, crucify him? As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied? Aren't you the Egyptian who started the revolt, led 4,000 terrorists out in the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, no, I'm a Jew. From Tarsus in Cilicia a citizen of no ordinary city. Now, why did Paul say that? Because Tarsus was, where, it was one of the, uh, where the Roman army, it was a center for the Roman army. It was a command post in Asia Minor for the Roman army. That's where Paul was from. And in fact, he grew up there and his family were in the tent making trade. So it's very likely that uh, some scholars say that, that Saul, was a Roman citizen because his parents had made tents or his grandparents had made tents for the Roman army. And as a perk for the great deals they made to the Roman army, they were given Roman citizenship. So in mentioning Tarsus, Paul, that he's speaking Greek, and the Roman official is gonna go, Tarsus, yeah! Of course, I was posted to Tarsus. We all were, we all came through Tarsus. Oh, okay, you're a good guy. Not only do you speak Greek, you know Tarsus? So Paul kind of endears himself and then he says, please, let me speak to the people. And interestingly enough, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned for the crowd and they were all silent and he began to speak to them. A couple things that I want us to take out this morning of the scripture. Because Paul was willing, this whole idea, he's willing to become, to the Jews, to become a Jew. To the, those under the law, to become like one under the law. To be willing to submit in love and to respect authority. And what we see in Paul's actions here, I think, is very important. Because you may be sitting there thinking, well, what's the big deal? Why, why should I even care about this? If you haven't heard... Kevin's message last week. I would really encourage you to go out online and uh, watch it on YouTube or listen to it on the podcast. Because one of the things that has been recognized over the last several years is that our body here has been growing a lot. We have thousands of people worshiping in two different rooms. And one of the things that's interesting about that is because most of the growth, according to Keith, is from other churches. Because what's happening? Other churches are dying. Small churches in rural communities are closing. And what we have recognized in this room is that we've got people from every background. We have people here that grew up Catholic. We have people here that grew up Christian Reformed and Reformed. We have people in here this room that grew up Methodist and Baptist. We have people in this room that grew up being just a boogerhead and had no you know, denominational background whatsoever. And we're all in this room together. And what's happening is, is God is bringing us all together. And how are we going to make this work? How are we going to continue to follow the Holy Spirit? This is how. Just like Paul. That you know what? Hey, I'm willing to become sit with you and be like you and, and to try and respect you and understand you. I am willing to submit to you in love if, you don't, if we don't agree on every little jot and tittle. I am willing to do this and let's, let's let the law of love work and follow the Holy Spirit. And what's happening is that God's blessing it for right now. Here's the other thing that's very interesting that, that Kevin talked about last week. It's really interesting, because uh, for those of you who know, uh, at Tulip Time, Wendy and I play the town founders, uh, Domini Scolte and his wife Maria, and a lot of people don't really know the story of that. I was reading uh, a book about Domini Scolte just the last couple of weeks, and Wendy just rolls her eyes and goes, you're so, such a geek. And I am, I'm a kind of a history geek. You may not know that the city of Pella was founded by a pastor who led his congregation to this place and started this town. That the, the name Pella was chosen by Pastor Sculty because the Pella was a city of refuge in biblical times. And in fact, James and the elders and the Christians in a few years after this story are going to flee persecution and they're going to go where? To Pella. Dominic Scolte brought his people here and he wanted Pella to be a city of refuge, a place where people could go. And one of the interesting things is that, you may not know this, but Dominic Scolte, who had been raised Lutheran and became a, a, a reformed church pastor in Holland, when he came to America, he said, I am not going to be part of the reformed church of America. I am not going to be part of any denomination. I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And when the people got here, instead of them kind of going, okay, well now we're reformed, we're gonna stay reformed, we're gonna here, gonna st- establish this by the, the reformed people, Domini Scolti called the elders together and he said, hey everybody, I am not gonna tell you what to do. I am not going to be your king or your pope. You are the body of Christ. So here's what we're gonna do, you're gonna have a meeting and you are gonna go to the scriptures, and you are going to decide from the scripture, with Holy Spirit's guidance, what you want this church to look like. And the people freaked out. And they couldn't handle it. Scolte was kicked out of the pulpit not once, but twice. Why? because we have a hard time with that, don't we? I'm, I'm familiar with this. This is what I've always been. This is what I want to be. <laughs> this is what it's going to be. And so there was a group that broke off and went to Michigan and visited one of the other leaders of the, the movement, Dutch movement, and said, hey, we want to become part of the Reformed Church of America. Why? Because it's what we know. But isn't it interesting that the man who came, who called this city Pella, who drew up its streets, who brought his people here, what he was trying to do, I feel like is being fulfilled right now. 160 years later, we've got people from all different backgrounds. And we're trying to figure out what this looks like. Isn't that cool? Where is it all going? I don't know. Go to the next slide if you would, please, Andres. I want you to see also Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to see, we made a couple of references to to it here, but I want you to see the comparison between Jesus and Paul. Jesus led with love. He loved people, he forgave people, he went to the poor, he went to the sick, he went to those in need. Paul led with love. Where did he go? He went to the Gentiles, who were the outcasts, the unwanted, the unclean, according to the Jews. That's where he had, and he loved people to Christ. Did signs and wonders. Caused violent reaction. What happened when Jesus was born? Herod had a bunch of babies killed to try and get to him. What happened when Jesus preached his first sermon in Nazareth? The people grabbed him and took him outside and were going to throw him off a cliff. Jesus' message created violent reaction. Same with Paul. We've been studying it for months. Jesus resolutely went to Jerusalem Luke 9.51, if you're taking notes, Luke 9.51 says Jesus, from this time on, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What have we been reading about Paul? He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was warned not, Jesus was warned not to go by his followers. Paul was too. He knew what was coming. Jesus knew. He said, I'm going to go, and they're going to take me, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to they're hang me, and on three days later, I'm going to be risen for the dead. Paul knew what was coming. I'm gonna to go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be arrested. I'm probably gonna die. Jesus went to the temple, so did Paul. Jesus was arrested by Jews, so was Paul. Jesus was handed over to the Romans, so was Paul. Jesus' mission was sacrifice and so was Paul's. Here's the correlation that I'm trying to make. When I study, through Lent, what happened to Jesus, Jesus was in control the entire time. Jesus pushed the buttons of the Romans and the Jews that led to his crucifixion. Why, because he was on a mission. Paul is doing the same thing. He's in control, he is pushing the buttons. He's not a victim here, he is bringing the gospel of Christ and he is on a mission. Next slide, if you would, Andres. The differences between Jesus and Paul, number one, is where it started. With Jesus, it started in eternity, when God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. Where did Paul's begin? Let's watch. Andres, show us the clip if you would. I know this path of destruction more than anyone. I hated those that followed Christ. I hunted them down like wild animals. And when they fled Jerusalem, I went to the temple, to the chief priests obtain authority to go to Damascus and arrest all those that followed the way, I was determined to be God's hand of justice. His wrath. You believed what you were doing was out of a love for God? A blind love. I only knew the law. If water flows down a mountain, what besides a miracle could cause it to flow back? The road to Damascus was your miracle. Yes, the road to Damascus. Paul was a murderer. Paul led with hatred. He led with judgment. He led with religion. He led with rules. He led with condemnation. He led with violence. That was Paul's life. That was what he led with and it led him to murder. Go back, if you will, real quick. We're to uh, Acts chapter 7, if you would. Acts chapter 7. Where we first meet Paul, who began being called Saul, start at 57. They are killing Stephen, stoning him to death. We just saw it. As they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And they fell on their knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold on this this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. On that day... A great persecution broke out, and Saul approved their killing of him. Now, one of the interesting things that we learn about Saul is he was a murderer. He didn't throw the stones that day, but he was the conspiracy, the ringleader. Why didn't Paul take part in the stoning? That's always bothered me. But One of the things that we learned in our study of Acts this year is If Paul had participated in the stoning, just like the Jews that were trying to kill him, he knew that he would be breaking the Roman law. So one of the things we learn about Paul is that Paul is a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he has all sorts of perks, all sorts of privileges. It is a rare thing, it is a very expensive thing. And as a Roman citizen, he has rights and privileges that most most people don't have. So rather than participate in the killing, he just stood and watched the coats and approved of it. Why? Because he wasn't about to risk his Roman citizenship. And now, fast forward to Acts 21. Paul is going to Jerusalem. Paul is going to Jerusalem. And he's a lawyer, man. He knows the law. What does he know? He knows that he goes to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. But he knows that by law, the Jews can't kill him. So what is he trusting? He's trusting that the Jews are going to hand him over to Rome because that's exactly if they want him killed he has to go be turned over to Rome and when he is arrested and he is put on trial by Rome as a Roman citizen he can appeal any accusation against him to Caesar see the difference is where it's ending see Jesus his ended at Jerusalem with his crucifixion and then his resurrection Paul knows his goal is not Jerusalem, his goal is Rome. I think he's planning this whole thing. He knows, he knows that when he gets arrested the Rome's trump of charges, he can say, I appeal to Caesar, and when he does, he has to go to Rome, and when he goes to Rome, he plans to stand before Caesar himself and proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. The man on a mission. Last slide, if you would, Andres. This is where we end. When you lead with love, you are led to resolve, no matter the reaction. When you lead with love, when you love with the love of Christ, what you find is that somewhere along the line, there's this resolve that gets born in you that the Holy Spirit brings into you. And you, as you see the transforming work of love in other lives, it transforms you. And you become more and more resolved to be more loving and to go where God is calling you to do and do the things and to do the mission no matter what people react to. So three questions. Number one, I wanna ask you this, do you know Christ? Do you know him? Or do you know about him? Do you really know Christ? Because Paul said to the Philippian believers, chapter three, I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want you to know Christ. Not just know the Bible, not just know church, not just know about him. I want you to know him and to know his grace. See, Paul, he started a murderer. And what allowed Paul to lead with love and to resolutely sacrifice himself? Because he had experienced the grace. I said at the beginning of the message that all of us, you know, are kinda, we always have our mess, right? Some of us, myself included, you know, some of us have ugly sins. I got ugly sins. I think that Paul was haunted his entire life by memories of the stoning of Stephen. Because guess what? When you're part of something ugly, you don't forget it. And even though you're forgiven, and even though you know grace, and even though you've experienced it, you still remember And when you remember your ugly sins, because there are moments that I can go right back there and know the shame of it. But at the same time, I know from what I have been saved, I know what I have been forgiven. And that leads me to love and to forgive. I think Paul knew the same grace. Question two. What are you leading with? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, look, if you lead with anything else but you don't have love, then you're leading with the wrong thing. Are you leading with self? Are you leading for career? Are you leading your life for being right? Are you leading with politics? Are you leading with doctrine? Are you leading with moral purity, are you leading with appearances? Because you can lead with all of those, but your resolve is gonna be something very different. We want to be people who lead with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. I'm gonna ask, the, Worship team to come on up. Final question is this. What are you resolute about? What are you resolved? Because depending on what you are leading with in your life, your resolution is gonna be different. If you're leading with self, then you're gonna be really resolute about all things for you. If you're leading with politics, then you're going to be resolute about all your political convictions and making sure the other side knows that they're wrong. If you are leading with moral purity, then you're going to be really resolute about making sure that everybody is pure if you want to have anything to do with them. What are you leading with? What am I leading with? May we be people who lead with love. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Paul's example. I pray, Lord, that you will help us be people marked by love and grace and mercy and resolute about being sent with your yeah, with your word, of love and salvation for all, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done, no matter what our life looks like. pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Close with a, a song, and then we'll be done.